So, so this child says to his father one Sunday morning, I don't want to go to church. And the dad says, well, son, we're going to church. And the son says, well, why should I go to church? And dad says, when I was your age, my parents made me go to church. That's why. To which the child replied, well, it sure didn't do you much good. <laughs> have you ever wondered why we have church? Have you ever wondered why we go through the motions? For some, you're raised in church and you've never even questioned it. You, you, were, you started going to church nine months before you were born. You've heard that before. And so you've always been in church and, and you worship the Lord and you love the Lord. And so you are in church. There may be others who have come to church for years and even generations who you come because it's a habit, because you had this drug problem, your parents drug you to church, or any other number of reasons, but you just come and you don't really question why you just come to church and you're a part of church. Maybe you're a part of a Sunday School Connect group and you go to the worship service and you do the, the different things connected, but, but have you ever wondered the why behind church? Why is it that we have church why is it that we do church? When and how did it start? And what does it mean for me today? You know, the church is old. You know that, right? There, there are some people, you think they're old. The church is even older than those people. I won't, I won't call any names out, but... Uh... But the church is old. Is it even useful? Does it even have a place anymore? Or are we just going through the motions? That's the question. Well, today we're starting a new series of messages on the book of Acts. And Acts is a continuation of the gospel. And by gospel, I mean the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the gospels because they report to us the story, the events of Jesus. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Acts just carries it to the next chapter. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus had said, I will build my church. There's going to be a, a church, this called out group of people who will be my followers. And so Jesus said that. And when we get to the book of Acts, we see that this is now the continuation of uh, Jesus' words, I will build my church. Now, as we start this study, I want, I want to point out to you a couple things. One is, I'm, I love the book of Acts. I've read it many times. I've studied it many times. I've taught through it a time or so. I've never preached through it. I've preached from the book of Acts, but never starting at the beginning and working all the way through. So over the next five years or so, <laughs> or maybe a little less, uh, we're going to work our way through the book of Acts. Why? Because it takes us back to the founding of our church. We want to know why we have church. Here's why. It takes us back to the purpose of the church. What is the reason that we exist today? Is it for this or that or this? Or, is, or does God spell it out for us? And we'll look at that over the course of the next several weeks. I am excited and have been looking forward to this uh, series of messages for quite a while. Ultimately, the book of Acts, I hope, will lead you and I to ask this question. What is my role in the church? What is the church to do for me? And what am I to do, not for the church, but what am I to do through the church for the cause of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now, for this series of messages, I don't know if, if, if this is important to you, but, but framing something is, is very important to me as I speak and as I preach. And so I've been looking at the right title to give this series of messages on the book of Acts. Put the, just, the, just the word Acts up there, if you would, back, back 
two slides here for you, right there. So, so here's the book, the book of Acts. So, so I've been looking to frame how to present this. And so here's some of, the, some of the considerations I went through. Here's one potential title is this. Church is a verb. You get an amen to that? I didn't, yeah, that's why I didn't choose that one. <laughs> Another one was, let's do church. Yeah, I didn't choose that one either. Then there's this one. Church, the unfolding story. And I like that one. I like that one, the unfolding story. Then I like this one too. Let's be the church. Okay, I didn't choose that one either, okay. <laughs> we are the church. How about this one? I am the church. Make it personal. I like that one too. Then I'll, here's, here's, listen, do something. <laughs> Let's just do something, right? Well, and then, then there's this one, church. <laughs> you see it on the screen there. Church. Exclamation point. Church. As if there's some excitement about it. Then uh, I was talking to Jared, our, our ministry intern, and he said, why don't you make an acrostic? You know, take the book of Acts and make it an acrostic that would, A would stand for authority, C for community, T for teaching, S for spirit. And I said, that sounds really good. It doesn't sound really exciting, but it does sound really good if you want to dive in and study the book of Acts. And we're going to go over each of the things listed here uh, on the screen as well. And then, then I got down to, I had this working title. I really liked it. I ran it by some people. And uh, some liked it, some didn't like it, some thought it was kind of old because it's, it's a reference, you know, that's 30 years old. And, and so, so here's my title. And I even had Katie, our, our ministry assistant, help me work on this graphic. And so here's the title that I was working with up until, up until recently. And, and it's this, Back to the Future of the Church. I thought I'd get better response than that. I don't <laughs> Now, here's, here's, why I, here's why I like that, because we're, we're looking back into the beginning of the church, the book of Acts, but it's not just a history book, it's also a future book, right? And it's about the church. So we're going back to the beginning for the future of the church. Okay, I didn't choose that one. Ultimately. <laughs> if you got your news brief email this past week, you saw in there a graphic. You look on the cover of your worship folder this morning, and you see a graphic, and now you'll see on the screen the graphic that I chose to go with for this series of messages uh, on the book of Acts, simply Acts, Life on Mission. Life on Mission. Let me tell you why I chose this. And I'm, I'm going to a little extra detail to help you kind of understand where I'm coming from here at the beginning so that hopefully you'll be motivated throughout this series of messages to look at this from the perspective I'm trying to bring. And, and that is... It's the book of Acts. We're going back to the future. But also the, the phrase life on mission, is, is our, as I read and study the book of Acts, I keep coming back to that phrase, life on mission. I saw it worded several different ways, and, and, and I just thought life on mission. And, and mission is what we're called to. There, there's a mission that the Lord has given us as the church that we're to be about being a part of. And so, so life on mission. I love the picture here that I found and, and, and I like the picture for a couple of reasons. One is, it, it's a, it's a, it's a low-level view. It's not from, from up in, the, up in the, the atmosphere, looking down on the whole nation or the whole world. It's, it's, a, it's a personal view as if you're driving down the road on evidently a very low-sitting car, right? You can tell that. 
So as you're riding down the road, here's the journey. It's a journey of life. And, and, then, and as you look down the road, you can see there's a destination. Why do you go driving? Because you're going somewhere. We're going somewhere as a church. Amen? Amen. And then you see in the, in the distance the beautiful mountains. Don't, don't you love mountains? I'll say I love to look at mountains. I don't like to drive through the mountains. I don't like to walk up the hills in the mountains. I love to look at the mountains. But this destination reminds us that as we're on our way, there are some hills and there are some valleys as we go from where we are to accomplish the mission God has called us to off in the distance. And, And this picture also reminds me, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. The road... The road is not over, so we have a ways to go with that. So that's my reason uh, behind that. Now, the book of Acts, important that we recognize the book of Acts. Uh, in your Bible, and in fact, in my Bible, I have the English Standard Version. In my Bible and many other Bibles, the title of the book of Acts in the Bible is called this, The Acts of the Apostles. Now, this was not part of the original book of Acts, so I want to say that before I say this so you won't throw something at me. Uh, but the, the Acts of the Apostles is not an accurate name for this book. It does tell the story of what happened to the disciples, yes. But a more appropriate title for this book, as I've read and, and kind of had in my mind over the years as, I, as I've read and studied, is this. Rightly, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because you see, the book of Acts is not just a history of what these people did after Jesus was raised from the dead. It is a history of what Jesus did through His Holy Spirit in the lives of these people who were there after He was raised from the dead. And that is a big difference. Because we need to recognize that we are not just people who show up to to, to sing some songs and hear a story and then go about our our business uh, and call ourselves Christians. We are those in whom the Holy Spirit of God resides. That's my amen line. We are those in whom the Holy Spirit of God resides. And so we should take note of that. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning. As we go through this kind of introductory uh, message, uh, I want to read with you just a couple of Bible verses that are key verses in the book of Acts. I started listing all the key verses and realized that I can't can't cover them all in one message. I've got five years, so why why hurry, right? (laughs) Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 is both a key verse from the book, and it's also the table of contents of the book of Acts. If you want to know what's going to happen, you just read Acts 1, verse 8, and it will tell you. You see the words on the screen. I want to invite you to read those words out loud with me. Ready? Acts 1, 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's the table of contents. Here's where we're going. Here's where this road is going to take us. And we need to recognize that the road is still going on even yet today. Another key verse that I think is important that I'll bring up now and we'll talk about when we get to it is Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. The very core of the message of the church is simply this. You see the words on the screen. I want to invite you to read these out loud with me again. Ready? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Notice that word must. We must be saved because if we're not saved, then we're lost. And if we're lost, we're apart from God. How am I saved? Through the one name, the name above all names, the name of who? The name of Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, today 
as we embark on this journey of the book of Acts. May you reside in our midst. May you speak to our hearts. May you use your word. May you use your Holy Spirit. May we become deeper in our faith, stronger in our convictions, more energetic in our Christian living. And may this church, Lord, may this church, because of the Holy Spirit of God, be an even stronger lighthouse in this day and time and in this community than ever before. For the glory of God and the sake of the gospel, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. Now, what is the purpose of the book of Acts? We could go through a long list of purposes. Let me share a couple with you. One is, it's the story of the birth and growth of the church. The book of Acts is the story of the birth of the church, the growth of the church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also what, what we'll call, what I've heard called, a companion, a companion to the gospel of Luke. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also is the one who wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. In Luke, we have part one, and in Acts, we have part two. And, uh, and it is written as a letter, in a letter form, to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus. One reason I'm a Carolina fan, UNC fan, among many reasons. Last, last couple of years, they had a guy on their team, the basketball team, and his name was Theophilus. Theophilus Pinson, Theo for short. And uh, Theophilus means literally lover of God. Theos, God, Phyllis, uh, uh, we'll get phileo, lover of. So Theophilus is a lover of God. And so either uh, Luke is writing to educate a believer and a follower of Christ, or he's writing to someone who loves God and wants to find out more about God, uh, I'm going to call uh, the, the book of Acts a first century membership matters. <laughs> You've heard of Al advertising today, our membership matters course coming up on the 15th of September. And uh, uh, so Acts actually is one form, along with Luke, of membership matters. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, we see an orderly account of two things, the gospel and the church. The gospel and the church, that's what the book of Acts is all about. The author is Luke. I mentioned that already. Luke was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He was a physician by trade, and he was a companion of the Apostle Paul. The date of the book of Acts, if you're interested, is very important in, in academic circles and in uh, theological circles because, you know, how long after the events was it written? There are some that would say the book of Acts as well as the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written decades and decades, even a hundred or more years after the actual events that took place. But the dating of the book of Acts uh, is before the year A.D. 64. That's important for a couple of reasons. Before the year A.D. 64. Why do we know that? Because when it ends, Paul, the great apostle, is in prison. There's no mention of Paul's death. There's no mention of the persecution of Christians by uh, Nero uh, in the year A.D. 64. We know that Jesus was crucified around the year A.D. 33, and he was buried and raised from the dead. We know that the Gospel of Mark was the earliest written gospel and was written not long after A.D. 33, and that Mark was used by both Matthew and Luke as they wrote their gospels. They took the shorter version of Mark and they each took that and expounded upon it, Matthew and Luke did, based on their own experiences and the experiences of others. 
And we know that Acts was written soon after Luke. And so it is close to the actual events, which for those who need those types of assurances, uh, historically makes it very soon and very, uh, very close to the events. The theme of the book of Acts is simply this. Holy Spirit-empowered believers spread the gospel and establish the church. Holy Spirit-empowered believers spread the gospel and establish the church. Now, they spread the gospel, and here's where it gets really... Acts is a very radical book. I don't know if you know this or not. Acts is a very radical book because the book of Acts takes the message of the gospel and gives it to the Jews, but not just the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And in, in, in company long ago, when you say to the Jews, nobody would have said anything, but then to the Gentiles, people would have said, what? The Gentiles? And Acts is very radical in that note. Today what I want to do is, is kind of walk our way through the book of Acts, kind of the, this big overview, and talk about our theme being life on mission. The book of Acts calls believers and demonstrates for us as believers how we are to live because of our faith in Jesus Christ. How we are to live now that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. How we are to live now that this new entity called the church is in existence and Jesus is continuing to build His church. What then does that mean for me and for you? It means that we are to have and to live a life on mission. What does that look like? I want to take just a few minutes this morning and give you eight characteristics from the book of Acts, eight characteristics of a life on mission. And each of the things that I talk about in this message, there'll be a long sermon on this in the weeks to come. Because remember, how long have we got? Five years or so. So, it's, so we'll, get, we'll get there. But I want you to notice, first of all, that life on mission has a worldwide focus. This is important. The message of the gospel is not just for a localized group of believers in Jerusalem or in Judea or in Samaria, three local places right there in the land of Israel. But the message of the gospel, as it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, is to the end of the earth, all the way out until the end of the earth. All seven continents. If you can name the seven continents, good for you. I can't, so I had to write them down. Africa, Antarctica, Asia, Australia, Europe, North America, and South America. And geographically, ethnically, politically, and culturally, the message of the gospel is for every person who's ever lived in all the earth. Can I get an amen to that this morning? The message has a worldwide focus, and so our life on mission should also reflect a worldwide focus. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, uh, we find a very significant passage of Scripture. Again, very eye-opening in that day, very radical in that day, and if we're not careful, it can be very radical for us as well. Acts 10, 34. Peter opened his mouth and he said this, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Think about that for a second. God shows no partiality. Would you say that statement with me? God shows no partiality. That means that, that, that there's not one color of skin that's over another cover, color of skin in the eyes of God. That means there's no economic class that's over another economic class in the eyes of God. 
That means that there's no language and no culture. There's no ethnicity. There's no height. There's no, no, no speech. There, there's, no, there's no car that you drive. There's no team that you pull for. There's no gender difference between anybody and God. None is better than the others. Why? Because God shows no partiality. Verse 35 goes on to say this, But in every nation, not just a few, not just the one, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. The gospel is for all. Isn't that a great statement? The gospel is for... There's nobody that you will ever meet that will be able to say to you, biblically, being biblically accurate, well, that message might be for you, but that message is not for me. God can never love me. God can never accept me. God can never embrace me. And you can point them to Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. With God, there is no partiality. Isn't that a good, a good message? Well, secondly, and i got to rush. And I hate it. Life omission presents the resurrection of Jesus. Throughout the gospel, not the gospel, throughout the book of Acts, we're going to find the resurrection of Jesus is the focus of every message that is out there. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, uh, in fact, verse 24, it says, God raised him up. This is Jesus. God raised Jesus up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. God raised him. In chapter 5, verses 30 to 32, the apostles had been arrested for preaching. And they were brought in to the, to the Jewish authorities. And they were being persecuted. And, and there in that, in that, in that setting, uh, they said this, The God of our fathers raised Jesus. He has been raised from the dead. And you killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him at his right hand. Verse 32. And we are witnesses. We've seen. We're not just telling you a story. We've seen that Jesus lived, died, buried, and raised on the third day. We talk about the gospel being the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is so important. Because guess who's lived? Everybody. Guess who's died? Just about everybody. Because we're getting there, right? Guess who's been raised from the dead by God to live forevermore? Jesus, the one. Thirdly, life on mission calls for a response. It calls for you and I to give a response and for you and I to bring a response from others. It can be awkward, but it can be life-changing. I'm so thankful that a pastor and a youth pastor and a Sunday school teacher and, and, and others in my church, when I, was, when I was just getting into going to church as a teenager, I'm so thankful that they didn't just tell me, but they called for a response. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, uh, he said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. There's a response that comes by living a life on mission. Fourthly, a life on mission is guided by the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful for that? The Holy Spirit of God empowers us. The Holy Spirit of God enlightens us. And uh, we see this in Acts chapter 4, among other places. Uh, Peter and John have been arrested for preaching. And there before the Jewish leaders, uh, it, it says this, starting in verse 7. The Jewish leaders inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Did you heal this man? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. It wasn't just that Peter said it, but that Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit said it. It's a reminder to, to you and I that, that we're going to face difficult circumstances in our home, our school, our job, in, in our communities when we dare to live out the message of the gospel, when we dare to live on mission with Christ. We're going to be confronted with people that want to know, by what power are you saying what you're saying? By what power are you doing what you're doing as we see the difference that's been made in your life? And we need to make sure that we understand that like the apostles in the book of Acts, we don't do this on our own. The Holy Spirit of God empowers us. Then fifthly, life on mission promotes unity among believers. One of the beauties of the early church that was lost quickly thereafter <laughs> is their unity. Notice what it says in, uh, in verse 32 of chapter 4. This is just a summary statement of the church. There's several of these in the book of Acts. Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. The full number means everybody of one heart and soul means there was a great unity. There was a unity of message. There was a unity of faith. There was a unity of enthusiasm. There was a unity of, of, of purpose. There was a unity of, of, of being together in their fellowship. There was a great unity that just empowered them and sent them forward and sent them out. And what a beautiful thing it was. Number six, I want to point out to you this. Life on mission is prepared to suffer for the gospel. We don't like to hear this, and, and we'll talk about this all through the book of Acts. The, the people that we read about are people that not only embrace the message of the gospel, but they were willing to lay down their life so that the message might go forward. The, the message, the mission was so important that they said the mission is more important than the person. And so I'm willing, they said one by one by one by their actions, they said I'm willing to lay down my life so that the mission can go forward. The apostles, after they've been arrested in chapter 5, they're of Acts. It says, that starting in verse 40, the Jewish leaders did several things to the apostles. That they'd been arrested for preaching, so the Jewish leaders brought them in. And here's what the Jewish leaders did. They called them in. They beat them. I don't know what that looks like, but they beat them. They beat them physically. And then it says they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. They had arrested them for preaching about Jesus. They brought them in. They had some soldiers or policemen or some, I don't know who it was, but they literally beat them physically. And then they said, now you don't talk about Jesus anymore. Now get out of here. That's what they did. <laughs> in verse 41, the next verse, they left the presence of the council. You would think they'd be walking out the door saying, I'm glad we got away alive. Man, did you hear what they said? They said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. So we got to zip our lip. Don't, we'll just live it out. We'll look for an opportunity. We can't talk about Jesus anymore. Notice what it said. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's the name of Jesus. They said, man, we got beat up for Jesus. High five, baby. Can you believe that? And what did they do? Now, the council had said, don't talk about Jesus, verse 42. And every day, and I love that, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Life on mission is prepared to suffer for the gospel because the mission is bigger than the person. Number seven, 
Life on mission produces gospel results. The, the beauty that we see in the book of Acts, it carries over even to today, is that when the gospel is lived and believed and practiced in the community of the church with great unity and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that there are, there's a, there's a gospel result out in the world in which the people live. In, in, in chapter 21, this is towards the end of the book of Acts, a lot of ministry had been taking place. And in chapter 21, verse 19, uh, Paul is meeting with the church leaders. And, and so Paul comes in, and after greeting them, he related one by one the things God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. The Gentiles need the gospel. So Paul went to the Gentiles, and he came in and said, Let me tell you what God did through the, to the Gentiles. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said, You see now, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews. There's the Jews, and they believe, and the Gentiles believe, and there's this great uh, embracing in the growth of the church. What a great thing it was. People respond. I want to just share with you some personal things that I've seen happen in ministry that I've been a part of over the years and even through the ministry of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Uh, I want you to see a picture of the 1996 Billy Graham crusade in Charlotte. Isn't that a great shot there at Panther Stadium in Charlotte? Now you're looking at the stage there, right? If you look all the way at the, at the bottom, right in front of the stage, hang a hard left all the way to the, to the front line there. That's where I was sitting as I was, I was a supervisor's counselor's and as people came down, 10,000 a night, trusting Jesus as their Savior, there I stood saying, good gracious, the power of God in that presence, in that moment. As I heard Billy Graham speaking to the group, and as I heard people praying with a counselor here and there, they'd call me in if they needed some resources or needed a question answered, and what a privilege it was to be a part of that. I want you all also to see something on a much smaller scale that I've been able to be a part of over the years. And that is even things like a backyard Bible club, a community Bible club. This is a picture of me in 1985. Amen. I had some hair back then. I, just want, I mainly just wanted to say I had hair at some point in my life. But it's a, it's a community backyard Bible club. The second summer that I was involved in ministry here in the Durham area, out in South Durham. And uh, one of the reasons I, want, I wanted you to see this is to see what happened back in the day. But also, I want you to notice over to the, to the left-hand side of the picture is a little girl in a black hat. You see that little girl? Her name was Kara Smith. Kara Smith. Her married name is Kara Wyckoff. She and her husband, John, are members of Ridgecrest Baptist Church along with their two kids. And I get to see her every Sunday as she brings her family to church. It's just one of the reminders God has given me. When you plant those seeds and you see them grow and develop and see how God works in the hearts and lives of people. Another, another picture I want you to see is, is a part of a newsletter from Guest Road Baptist Church in April of 1978. They had a revival at Guest Road Baptist Church. And these are, this is a list of the people who had professed their faith in Jesus Christ at that revival. 33 people. You see down there at the bottom the name Joy Stancil. Joy Stancil trusted Christ at that revival. And, uh, uh, and in fact, Joy gave me uh, this, this, uh, a copy of this newsletter. Uh, her married name is Pickett, Joy Pickett. And she uh, sings in our choir, and I don't see her here today. She's somewhere, tell her I talked about her in church today, if you would, when you see her. But, but isn't that amazing, Joy Stanson? Look at, see where Joy's name is circled. Look at the top of that list. Do you see a name there? Can you read that? That's me. That's me. In 1978, at a revival service at Guest Road Baptist Church, I came to know Christ as my Savior. Another picture I want to show you, you just heard from them a few minutes ago, Jim and Andrea Zavara. And Andrea mentioned that, that her family were, were a part of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. 
and the, the Blaylock family. And, and Andrea grew up here and trusted Christ here. And she met Jim. And they've gone off and spent years and years in ministry uh, translating the Bible for others to see. And as part of that is through the ministry of this church. I also want you to see a picture of Jason and Charity Palmer. Jason, of course, grew up here at Ridgecrest. Grandma's sitting back on the back row back there, really proud of Jason. But Jason trusted Christ here, was called to ministry here. He and Charity, his wife, spent three years in the country of Slovakia as missionaries with our International Mission Board. In those three years, uh, they were able to see five people come to Christ because the life on mission produces gospel results. Don't you see the next picture is Kevin and Carla. Kevin and Carla are church planters in Central Asia. That's all I can say about it. Right now they're living in one of our two Ridgecrest Baptist Church mission houses. They'll be heading back soon, and uh, I'm hoping next Sunday they'll be here to share just a word with us. But they've been on the field there in Central Asia for 11 years, and over those 11 years, uh, the gospel results they've seen in a heavily Muslim country, 11, they've had six converts in 11 years. We praise the Lord for that. Real quickly, I'll point out to you in our own Southern Baptist Convention, we have 45,000 churches here in the United States. 45,000 churches. And those 45,000 churches each average baptisms, gospel results, per year five. Five baptisms per year for every Southern Baptist church in America, which is very good when compared to other denominations in our country. The North Carolina Baptist State Convention has 4,400 churches. 4,400 churches. And I want to point this out to you. That in the year 2018, over half of our churches in North Carolina, 2,623 of them reported zero baptisms. Over half of our churches had not one baptism to report over the course of a year in 2018 in the state of North Carolina with a booming population growth. I also want to point out to you this. Ridgecrest Baptist Church, in the year that we just finished, 2018 to 19, 34 baptisms. Isn't that exciting? That's worth clapping about. All right. One last thing I'll point out to you before we close. Life on mission. Life on mission must be authentic if it's going to be real. It's got to be real. It's got to, it's got to be authentic from the standpoint of we can't just give lip service to the gospel or lip service to the Christian life and then turn right around and go live however we want to live. If that's true about us, we're really not believers. It's got to be authentic. When Paul was called before the king in Acts chapter 26, there towards the end, he gave his testimony of how Christ had changed his life. And the king and the court said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. In other words, he's living authentically. What he was charged with is not a crime. It's not worthy of being put to death or being in prison. He could be set free. Why? Because he lived an authentic life. You and I, if we're going to see a life on mission make a difference for the gospel in our context, our era, our time on earth, we've got to live authentic Christian lives. All too quickly. So I've, got another, I've got another 45 minutes here. But I've also got another service I've got to go preach at. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a quick moment. You've suffered with me through this a uh, little long today. I hope it's worth your while. And I hope you're as excited as I am in the coming days about going through the book of Acts together. Go ahead and start reading it. Read it, reread it, be ready, and, uh, and we'll grow together in this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close us. I'm going to do this, Al. I'm going to close us with prayer.
And then Al, stand us up and sing our last song, All for the Glory of God, of Christ. And after that song, Al will be available here at the front. I've got a scoop, but some others will be available. If somehow, someway, God has spoke to your heart, you want somebody to speak with you or pray with you, you come find Al after the service. You find your deacon or Sunday school teacher close by, and uh, we will look for great things today and going forward for the gospel of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of having the Bible, the privilege of, of seeing the history of, of how the church was birthed and how it grew and how the Spirit empowered and how lives were changed and how the world was turned upside down. And thank you that you're still the same today as you were in that day. You still have a passion for the church today as you did in that day. Lord, help us to re-engage with who we are, who the church is, who our world is, and how you can empower us to be a lighthouse for the gospel each and every day as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.